0: Listening to Inclusive AF with Jackie Clayton and Katie Van Horn. I know. I know.
1: That's we're so easy that's to find. That's why we're friends, because we we both spell our names differently than most. So yes.
0: this is Katie Van Horn. And this is
1: Jackie Clayton. And this is the inclusive af podcast um and uh, as you heard um and i think most of our listeners know jackie and i are weird we spell our names weird that's that's all i can say on this fine wednesday as we're recording it explains a lot it explains a lot (laughs) jackie i know we talked yesterday briefly about um you know uh, tomorrow obviously is thanksgiving for those of you are listening you're going to hear this after thanksgiving but um we did have an episode a while back about our favorite thanksgiving and so we're gonna probably ask our guests to, to share their favorite thanksgiving um side dish and mm-hmm. and we're gonna compare notes because jackie has the grossest one um <laughs> even though she thinks mine are the grossest but gross
0: you know. <laughs> <I'm a tree. laughs> I, I think it's fun because and one that's you find out as you were like got older that Oh wait, y'all don't do that? Everybody has one of those where it's like Mm -hmm. you don't
1: have that on your table. Yeah, that's not something you yeah. So anyways, all right, without further ado, we would like to introduce our amazing, amazing guest. Uh, Nika White is from Nika White Consulting, and she is joining us this morning to have a, a conversation. And we're so excited to have you. So Nika, would you like to introduce yourself?
2: I would love to. Listen, y'all, I am on Inclusive AF Podcast. That is a joy. That is a <laughs> highlight for me this week. And so I'm so grateful. While it's the week of Thanksgiving, I'm grateful to be able to have that opportunity to share space with both you, Katie and Jackie. So thank you so much for inviting me on. Um, I'm Dr. Nico White. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And I have the honor and privilege of serving as founder and lead principal consultant of a full service diversity, equity, and inclusion boutique consultancy um, under my brand name and um, specifically we are full service we intersect the work of diversity equity and inclusion and belonging with leadership and business working with all types of clients different industries different sectors helping them to integrate into their business framework strategic diversity intentional inclusion and a lens of equity and so i am so happy to be here and look forward to to digging in
0: i love that we we um we were talking earlier some people don't know that we were part of a mastermind group and you always had such great insight and we used to just share and i'm glad that we can share you with our millions of fans
2: millions. Fantastic. Yeah, I, I'm definitely the beneficiary of being a part of this experience today. So grateful.
1: <laughs> so, uh, you know, we started chatting. And then I, of course, had to say, wait, we have to record this first. So uh, <laughs> let's, uh, let's jump right in. Because I think, you know, we're at a, a place in time. And, and, and Nika, you know, you brought this up about, you know, we know that there's probably an economic downturn happening. And what does that mean for the state of you know consultants yeah. and the practice of you know focusing on diversity equity and inclusion for organizations we've just recently got to the place where corporations mm-hmm. understand that mm-hmm. a budget needs to be allocated for this work so
2: yes. Yes. what are your thoughts what are my thoughts i have so many you know first and foremost i guess i have to take a step back and reflect on um 2020 When um, after the murder of George Floyd, how there was this heightened sense of awareness and appetite to have the conversation, to begin to engage in the work that maybe many organizations were sitting on the fence about, feeling as though that's not a part of our charge and our mission, right? We're going to stay in our lane. But they realized that they could no longer be complicit about it because if they were perceiving that their employees who are part of the Black and Brown communities were not deeply impacted by what was happening outside of the four walls of the organization, they were misguided and they were correct. And so they were right to to want to engage and to want to initiate um, the work of DEIB with a deepened level of commitment. So I I start there because there was this groundswell of support for the work that I think um, completely helped all of us who care deeply um, in this space as practitioners and leaders to feel hopeful, right? And then um, as time went on, we started to see some of those heightened sentiments around, yes, we gotta do this, we have to do it in a really effective way that can be sustained, that that started to also wane, right? And it became very performative. And so, Um, fast forward now that we have gone through the pandemic, of course, we've, we've gone through the situation of, you know, the, the 2020, and now there's all this talk of, you know, headwinds around economic downturn. Um, it's disheartening in some ways because we feel like we can't catch a break, you know, can we just be on this path, this consistent path of being able to really make, um, significant change that can be sustained. And it feels like we get derailed. And so. I share that because what I am holding in mind is, um, as you mentioned, Katie, there are many organizations that are just kind of coming to the table in the realization that this work is important. And so what will this um, recession do to those leaders and those decision makers who are having to make some really tough decisions? I don't want to minimize the decision-making process because as a founder and leader myself of a business, I know that you have to think about a lot of different things, um, but I am concerned about that. I'm concerned that just first and foremost, from a a general consultancy perspective, um, that that is considered kind of a luxury for many organizations, right? We want to get a subject matter expert to kind of help us navigate this work. And so if it's considered a luxury and a premium, then what happens when you're in a recession? You kind of cut those premiums, right? And then I also think about the explicit work of DEIB. And so when you combine consultancy, the way that I just described it, along with thinking about it in the context of DEIB and how people are just kind of coming to see it as important. And so maybe, you know, it's easy for them to revert back to seeing it as less important. What is that going to do? um I'm curious about what others are experiencing but I can tell you that as a founder in this space um we are experiencing some differences and some changes we're seeing the sales process being expanded people are taking much longer to close deals what that means to me is either they're trying to hold out um, because they are concerned as well and they're planning and strategizing and everybody's in the war room right now or perhaps um this is them you know communicating that we're just waiting to see if we're going, going to have something left, which means it's kind of now secondary, right. Um, after we've satisfied some of the other things that we have prioritized. And so, um, yeah, that's what I'm experiencing. I'm really interested to see what you all are hearing and experiencing as well.
0: I, I can tell you, I've seen some of that at, um, uh, at Textio and looking at clients of some people pulling back, um, but some have been doubling down on it because they know they don't want to le- yeah. lose as we're at the same time we're still having people the great reshuffle whatever you want to call it people are still yeah. quitting I feel like and there's been some fear of I've seen other organizations saying We can't lose this because we recognize that the retention and we've been able to start seeing the sparks of innovation Mm -hmm. because of these diverse teams. And we can't do both. We can't be the company that laid everybody off and the company, unless you're Elon Musk, the company (laughs) that shut down ERGs (laughs) and have a layoff, right? right? Other people are being more conscious because they recognize what's happening is you see There's organizations that are still hiring, kind of like what we saw during COVID, all of these companies that you were like, whoa, I didn't know there was a need. And so there are still organizations that will, like every recession that are profiting during this time. And so I think it might be, um, in some instances, depending on where you are, it might be better for consultants. I feel like they will let go of permanent employees and opt Mm -hmm. for consultants to come in as as needed to build that program, um, even though it could be expensive, but they have it, right? And maybe they offer it to HR to present or or different things. But um, I don't see it as much as I've seen it in the past, where it Mm -hmm. was the first Mm -hmm. thing getting cut. If you look at layoffs.fyi and look at Mm -hmm. the list of the titles of people that have been laid off, I've been shocked because I'm seeing sales recruiters are always going to I mean sorry boo but um so recruiters have been laid off but I've been (laughs) seeing software engineers salespeople, and I wonder how much really needed to do the layoff or similarly to the beginning of the pandemic people that are saying oh well everybody's laying off people will give us a break we'll just lay off now and see what happens
2: yeah. yeah. So what's coming up for me, Jackie, and I just want to touch on what you just shared is that I think that you're right. Um, there are going to be some organizations who are going to lean more into this because they will say we've gained too much traction and momentum. We don't want to lose that because it's almost like just taking the investment that's been made and just, you know, counseling it out. We don't want to do that. But what I what I am concerned about is that even if organizations who buy into the fact that we need to keep this in place and they don't eliminate the roles and the function. Will the capital that needs to be leveraged to help fund some of the initiatives yep. still be there? And we know that we already find ourselves having lots of conversations about how many times those who are charged with doing the work are, are under-resourced, right? And so what is what are the implications of that even if they do keep the role intact, right? Um, so anyway, um, Katie, I, I would love to hear your thoughts too.
1: Yeah, I I think you both are spot on. and And the other piece that I'm, I'm seeing and kind of hearing from folks in this space is around the what type of engagements mm-hmm. they're, they're getting yeah. asked to do. So there are some groups that it's going back to the, oh, we just need you to come in and speak about something, or we just need you yeah. to, can you just do unconscious bias training? And I'm like, no, no, like, we're not, right. we're not going back kids, like, come on forward, like, let's keep moving the train. But I also think that I think there are some folks that are running scared right now and what i mean by that is companies are seeing the impact and seeing the value of having a diverse team as jackie just mentioned that innovation that's happening mm-hmm. and i think it's like oh wait this actually works and so i think there is you know a a subset of folks that is running scared and it's still that same clamoring of if i'm a white male i feel like i'm somehow not in the mix anymore but that's that's never been the case. And that's never been what any any person I know of in the DEI space has said we need everyone at the table. Um, and you know, so it's one of those things that it's the. How do we think about this in a different way and how do we shift? People's thinking about this to truly actionable work. And I, I think that's where we we see the impacts. And I mean, you both know the impacts that can be made even in a short period of time, but Mm. given a three year plan or five year plan, the amount of impact you can make. And so I'm reassured that companies are still thinking about this. And to Jackie's point, it's not the first thing that's getting cut. And I'm not saying it's not at some point, like you said, uh, you know, that it, it might be something they have to do from a business imperative. But I'm hopeful, I guess is, is the best way that I can put it that folks are seeing the impact and seeing what good this can be and want to keep the momentum.
0: Yeah, I think It is bizarre right now. Like, I mean, why are we talking about a potential recession when the freaking interest rates for housing, is like 7%. Like, what do you mean? Like, yeah. what, what, what signs yeah. do you need? Like people aren't making, money. what else, what are you waiting for? It's like the exactly. grand day. Like there's an official wizard that comes out and says, yes, officially a
2: recession well well here's what i'm seeing though i there are a lot of astute business leaders and organizational leaders who are in the war room now being proactive to plan for it which i think is always smart and so and those are usually the ones who are going to come out on top right you know you don't need to wait and be reactionary you need to make sure you're being proactive so in that level of proactivity there may be Having to decrease their rates. They may be having to, um, cut expenses, you know? Um, but I, but I think that prioritization and that exercise is important. I do encourage that across all organizations. We're in the midst of doing it right now for, for my, for my firm. Um, I just want people to be thoughtful about how in which those making, they're making those decisions. You know, it's interesting. I heard someone say the other day, as um, they were talking about this same thing that, um, a white male, um, CEO, Had shared, there's no way I'm going to cut DEI because as a white male CEO, that's going to send a completely different message that I don't want out there in the marketplace. So, whatever we do, we have to protect it at all costs. And, um, you know, some kind of felt like, well, is that really the right approach to this? you know because you 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 have to be able to make good business decisions looking across all areas and so just to completely say this needs to be protected by all costs some took issue with that but what i also appreciated is um the the self-awareness of yes how now people do react and um and 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 criticize and scrutinize um those decisions that organizations are making you know so it's um it, it's an important dynamic for us to begin at least trying to understand how we would, how we would navigate it. Yeah.
0: How, how are the conversations? Cause you have an interesting perspective in that, like I've gone from like talking to various clients to having one client and I, and I worked there at this point. So I'm out of the consultancy piece. Mm-hmm. And Katie did that too. So you are seeing things, like I would say, we're in a, our own bubble. So you are seeing things out there and I'm wondering how are people, what are people saying besides like, even though, even though we recognize people need to save costs, there is choices in that. So have you heard anything about the, the, why is it not necessary outside of, is it just cost? Or I can't imagine what that conversation would sound like.
2: Well, Again, we have to realize that for so long, many organizations were not even playing in this space at all. So, and, and by, you know, the perception of many of those individuals, okay, not all is lost. I mean, yes, is this an opportunity for us to get better? Um, there's lots of opportunities, but are we, are we at a, at a place to where, Everything that we're doing is null and void because we, we aren't intentional about DEI. And so when you consider that, you realize that you were able to survive. And in some regards, there are a lot of people that are saying, not only were we able to survive, we were thriving. You know, mm-hmm. we didn't have, we didn't have a whole lot of issues before we, you know, started investing now in this work because we saw it as an opportunity. So then that sends the message, well, okay, again, it's a premium. We can, we can't operate without it. Right. And so I think it's the realization of that. And again, I I said before that I don't want to undermine the decision-making process and how difficult that can be. When you're having to look across the board at all different competing priorities, it does become a challenge. It becomes really, really hard sometimes. And so I think that's what's coming up. I can tell you what I'm seeing and also what NWC is doing is whereas before we've been really solely focused on DEIB, But our approach to DEIB has always been, this is leadership, right? Now we are shifting that and we are more so amplifying our consultancy around organizational effectiveness and leadership, but it's done with a very specific lens of ensuring that DEI is incorporated. And so, and I feel like that is um, a direction that may help to resolve some of the anxieties or trepidations that some leaders could be having about, you know, the value very explicitly on DEI, but they can value, we need to have people managers that are well equipped to to lead a team, right? And so what does that look like, you know? Um, because some organizations are even seeing professional development during this weathering of the storm as as a luxury. And we know that a lot of the Dei, you know exposure work, awareness work, the learning experiences, all of that's part of professional development. But if you can attack it in a way to where it is addressing maybe both of these very specific um, needs of interest, like you know the leadership development piece as well as you know doing it with the lens of Dei, I think that it, it has the ability to um, to withstand the test of time
1: yeah Yeah. I, I I think that's the piece that you mentioned a couple of things and you mentioned something at the top of this as well that um you know I think companies are seeing why it's important companies are seeing what they can benefit how they can benefit and and it is hard to be in that room making those decisions of yes or no but I also i just want to reiterate and you know most of the folks that are listening to us are in hr or are in leadership roles and knowing the impact that this can make long term and what this will do for your organization you there is a bit of you can start to become more recession proof if you are using diverse folks on your team to bring those ideas bring those innovations to the table because they will come up with things that you hadn't thought about. Like Jackie, you mentioned, you know, companies pivoting to new things and how do we do this? You know, I mean, I think the the one that I always think of anytime I think of the, the COVID pandemic is the um, pickup groceries and the grocery delivery right. and how that boom like just happened. And, and I think that's such a critical thing that it's also having people at the table that are gonna go, have we thought about this? Have we thought about that? Mm-hmm. And I think that's just something that we need to to keep in mind is that you're gonna drive more innovation. And and we iterate that over and over again of how critical that innovation can be for your organization. Um, I wanna wanna shift gears a little bit because obviously we did just recently have, and I just saw the news that there was another one this morning. Yes. Uh, So I wanna talk a little bit about Club Q and the LGBTQ community. And, um, I, I don't even know what to say. I don't even know what to say. And then there was just another shooting this morning. An employee walked into a Walmart in Virginia, I believe, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't even know how to open this conversation because I don't know how to make it stop. Um, what are your thoughts? It's
2: it's sickening. It's disheartening. It's, um, I don't I don't know how else to express it. You know, I, I share it with my team this week, as we're going to be off for the Thanksgiving holiday, of course, tomorrow and then Friday. Um, and I share it with them that as I prepare to convene with family and to be around the this this Thanksgiving table, you know, giving thanks and showing appreciation and fellowshipping with love, I I can't help but to be reflective on what kind of words can i find that are adequate enough to provide a level of support to my cousin and her wife who are going to be a part of this family experience that's going to allow them to feel safe i don't think there's anything really we can say or do but how do we still show forth the level of support kindness um care compassion and um and just let them know that this is not okay, right? You know, they, they deserve to feel safe and supported and in all spaces at all times. And so I, I don't know. I, I am, I'm at a loss of words in many regards because I feel like this is such commonplace these days that it just doesn't feel adequate to be able to just say, you know, again, my hearts and prayers, my thoughts are, are with the families. I want to see it stop. I want to see it stop. And, um, you know, there's a lot to be said about um, gun control and reform. I know that that hasn't fully found its way to a level of maturity to where we can stop seeing these headlines. And so, I think that's also a part of it. Um, I think the fact that we, you know, just had the the mid the mid year midterm kind of elections is, um, in some regards, playing a role um, in what we're seeing in the media day in and day out. It's just disheartening. I I don't know what I don't know what else to say about it, to be honest with you.
0: Welcome, change agents, to your go to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on Earth. Our mission? that through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts. I, I agree with you with all of the that you are saying and um the thing that's also that we have to remember and and i always end up going back to like crt like i always go back of like why it's important to understand the history because i don't think that within the united states that people know that mass shootings are uniquely american Mm -hmm. um that it has become a uh, common, also commonplace, and it's known throughout the world. I I remember um, a couple years back, I, we had an exchange student from Germany, and I was so excited, and I was, like, asking if they had any questions, and they were like, am I in uh, danger of being shot? You know, because mm. I live in Texas and the United States, mm. and I I feel like, It's like similarly to the work that we're doing internally, where it's like, I can't turn a blind eye anymore at my office at the things that we've overlooked Mm -hmm. in the name of capitalism. We can't do that as a country. And Mm -hmm. so that's Mm -hmm. another reason why it's so important to bring people into the fold who may have been left off the table to see their leadership opportunities, to then go out and become leaders in our community and know that they have a voice. And I think that's, part of it. And like PS, look around. Everybody's jumping into the game. You're like, oh, so you used to sell candles and now you're in charge of the railroad commission with oil yes. and gas and coal. Awesome. Um there's room and spaces, but I think it starts with us making sure that voices are heard and they're getting those leadership opportunities so that mm-hmm. we can make choices that are, are are better for all of us and not just the Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcast,
1: and now available on YouTube.
2: Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I um we're preparing a statement for our team members and you know, and it it is the you can't send these emails out fast enough because another thing happens, another thing happens and and it's also the what what do you acknowledge what do you not acknowledge what do you talk about what do you not talk about and and most importantly and this is the one and I know we've talked about this before is how do you support the team members and and this can go for the shooting of unarmed black people this can go for shooting at you know at Pulse at now Club Q at Walmart at church no place is safe and and no group that has a that has historically been marginalized is safe anywhere and yeah. how do you reassure your team members and give them the tools to to feel safe and be safe when you can't guarantee that for them
2: absolutely and and i don't think there's an answer to that i think that the reality is um to your point katie we we can't guarantee that but i still think there's a huge leadership opportunity and um and the acknowledgement of um of the pain and the um the the lack of 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 feeling safe Um, that's so important because it is impacting how people are showing up to the workplace. And so if employers aren't taking the opportunity to have their people leaders, to make sure that they're checking in, that they are being a listening ear, not trying to solve it because not one individual, not one organization is going to be able to solve this, this issue. I mean, it's, it's too big. It's bigger than all of us collectively, but I think that where the tension points, um, or creating a lot of challenges for people is when they feel like there's this sense of, of of apathy or just unawareness um and lack of care and concern and you're right i mean i think i've heard a lot of my clients will say you know honestly we want to make sure that we are you know vocalizing and denouncing these acts but it, it feels like we could be sending out messages every week right yeah and then does that come disingenuous you know at is a feel too routine and performative, and so I think that at least for NWC, part of how we like to support clients and um, during moments like this is to just be that resource of helping them to have um, resources to arm their people with, so that they can be educated, be aware, and um, and to give them a bit more agency and comfort of at least being able to hold space and have a conversation, right? Because I think that that's really important.
0: It's another like reason why you can't get rid of all of your DEIB professionals because people are like, how do we do it in this moment? I mean, we um, had a healing circle. We started doing healing circles and the things that have come out of these healing circles have been um, surprising Mm -hmm. Um, and what people are sharing and the way that it works people share and you don't respond. This is not a debate. It's for you to feel like you've been right. heard and set those premises around it. But you have understanding diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging is a leadership trait that you have to have because you are not, again, you can't turn a blind eye and pretend that that didn't happen. And I, I remember as I was working on our DEIB report, I was talking to my boss when I get embarrassed because I might have acted out, I have to say my boss and not their name, even though most people know who my boss is. Um, I was like. It was before the midterms and I was like, you know, none of this even matters because of what's about to happen. And I don't really care. Like, I don't live in Seattle. I live in Texas and I'm scared to death every day of Mm -hmm. what's going to happen here. And that's why it's important not only to understand you know, you want to have DEIB, the but then understand what's going on in the world before you start going and saying, where's that report or why is this happening? And what has come out with the Inclusion Council and the addition of the healing circles is people are feeling this is uh, something that I didn't realize was going to be the key Like everyone wants to participate in all of the DEIB. D- D- deib things because it feels like that's the place where they belong it's become water cooler conversation where everybody is welcome where they don't have that in any other space not at the all company meetings not at their team meetings but this is a place where we are coming together as humans
2: And I think part of the the value of those healing circles and those brave space sharing for people to process together is um, when it is well facilitated, where there are some community agreements to help guide, you know, those discussions, because I think that's important as well. We have seen, we support a lot of clients and those types of endeavors, but we have seen where um a lot of harm has occurred because it was not well orchestrated. It was, let's just kind of get into a room and everybody just kind of talk. Yeah, no. <laughs> Surface, it seems like, yeah, this is a great idea. We're going to get people to kind of open up. It is incredibly triggering. And if you aren't well equipped to be able to, um, to center those conversations in a way that feels productive and helpful, then it can have an adverse effect. And so, um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of them, but I'm also a big, you know, advocate of doing them well with facilitators that, um, are, are trained to be able to hold space in a way that makes the most sense. Um, and so, I mean, you know, and I think that sometimes organizations are are really well intended. They want to be able to provide some type of outlet. And so, it just seems like the natural thing to just go and do it or to just, you know, pick anyone to, to help lead those conversations. But I, I do often caution that, you know, certainly if they aren't done well, it could have an adverse effect. Yeah.
0: You're so right. And one of the things that we started um, adding is some themes that might be part of this conversation Mm -hmm. for you to make a decision Mm -hmm. that's best for you like when we had our healing circle around roe v wade without Mm -hmm. speaking to everyone we had to let people know that part of the conversation could be around incest sexual assault um you know uh, statutory like all of these things that could be coming into the conversation be aware of that before you get there and then we had meditation at the end of it. And a, a, a centering poem is, which is totally that. my DEIB program manager. He's like, so great. I would have never thought, cause it's like a personal form of torture to be for me, um, <laughs> meditation is not my strong suit, but I was like, but it makes, it's so nice, but we, it's funny how organizations react, as you know, with this work, they're like, yeah. why can't we just have one? We're like, no, we need to you research. Know. We need to bring someone in we want to talk to some experts Mm -hmm. we want to have the format we've created the rules Mm -hmm. the tenants in a powerpoint that we're about to publish Mm -hmm. that we're using we're publishing it for other people because to your point point do not walk into the room and say let's talk about mass shootings because you have to talk about things that happen in the political life but not make it political inside in those conversations absolutely someone's not feeling safe and Based on the midterms, not everybody in the room is going to be thinking in the same way,
2: yeah. no, i, I love I love the fact that you all had um a healing circle around rope versus Wade. Um, and so again, you know that that is pretty innovative because not a lot of organizations, um, you know, I'm sure incorporated or offered such a, a space and outlet for people to, to share. And that's important. One of the things that I often incorporate as a, as a community agreement and just to manage expectations is that accept and expect non-closure because i think that sometimes people will enter those spaces feeling like yes this is going to really heal me you know this is going to completely eliminate you know any type of trepidation and trauma that i'm feeling and that i'm holding and 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 it's not you know that that is a journey that is a process but um you know, coming to those conversations knowing that it, it if it's done well it should help create some type of um of 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 I guess progress right and and, and really assessing and dealing and navigating emotions and experiences but it's not going to give you full non-closure you' there's more work to be done you know and so there's something to be said about one and done opportunities that I believe um you know we need to more properly manage people's expectations around. Yeah.
1: I love that you just said that because I think that is absolutely one of the the major tenets, one of the major you know conversations that need to occur is this is not going to fix it. Yeah. We're not going to have all the answers by the end of this hour or whatever it is that you dedicate to having the conversation and and that's so critical for folks to know. Like just it's not you know we aren't solving any of these problems right now. We all know that. I mean, we have. There's probably five or six we can name off the top of our head that it's not a one and done conversation. There's a lot of complications to it. There's a lot of pieces to it, and and so it is just you know being accepting of that and and understanding that it's not going to be fixed in an hour or whatever it might be. I think is just something for all everyone to be thoughtful about and realize. Right. Um, So when I, and I'm going to go back to, you know, I I always want to caveat this, this is not a sales pitch, but I I want to reiterate something that you both just said, and that's having an expert in the room to have these conversations. And, uh, you know, you both know me and there are some conversations that I'm not comfortable facilitating because I am a white woman. Like it doesn't, it would not be appropriate for me to be the person facilitating this. And, jackie's heard this example before that after charlottesville when i was Mm -hmm. at my my prior employer they had a white male lead a conversation about what happened in charlottesville and i strongly strongly objected no 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 this person has experience in trauma they have been all this and i was like i that's lovely i'm sure that they're a wonderful person they're not the right person for this and it fell apart in such a horrible way and and it caused more trauma and then we had to bring in someone who was the right person and i was happy that we were able to do that but i think that's the other piece to consider is that you are talking about stuff that is very uh personal to people and is very important to people and having that right facilitator i cannot you know say that enough because you you can't just be like oh I'm an HR so I can just go and have these conversations. Absolutely not. Because yeah. it, it, you know if you're if you do that and it goes sideways you're causing more trauma, more pain and that's not ever what you know you would want to do and you know of course no one is going into they're trying to do that but just being aware of that that having the right professional person to lead those conversations is just critical. So yeah.
2: The messenger is important. Absolutely, yeah.
0: yeah. I I am glad that you you said that, and uh, having the understanding of like I feel like sometimes in the diversity space we know that our job is never going to be done a hundred percent. There's always going to be that work. We've gotten used to that understanding, and I think it, it's easy to forget that other people in this day and age want an instant solution, an outline and a fix. I, I remember presenting a a plan, business plan and all the various steps for um, the diversity framework. And they're like, well, when are we done? I was like, we're not going (laughs) to be done. And then like, when are we going to, when do we get to stage 4D? Then what we do, I was like, you go back to 1A and then we go, go through it again. And I think it's a, it's good to have a friendly reminder of what the goals are when you have these things but recognizing that what we don't want especially with people having hybrid and remote workspaces for people to have feel like they're in this alone and um be able to know that we are paying attention and trying to make sure that we're taking care of all of our employees and reminding them of the resources that we have internally of the experts um yeah yeah
2: the question of when we're done is so short-sighted um yeah. and incredibly misguided and, and I get lots of those questions too I mean in fact I I am recalling a conversation with um a white male um leader c-suite leader in one of the clients organizations that we are we're partnering with and and it was a really genuine question but his question was this is after we did a deep dive assessment and we kind of presented all the information and he was really trying to defend um the his his perception and I was like well where you sit in our organization certainly determines what you see right which is why if you do this deep dive assessment you need to hear from those that are probably not in, in the seat that you're in but um and then he really honestly just said I know I have a lot to learn but I'm just really curious when is enough enough <clears throat> feels like we're doing all the things when is enough enough. And he really, really was genuinely curious about that. And so it was a similar answer. You know, there's not a, there's not a, we're done. (laughs) There's no such thing, you know, and I think also just reminding people that there's not an expectation to bowl the ocean, right? You know, I think that being intentional about incremental, you know, wins and goals along the way, and then letting that serve as the momentum and the traction to go after loftier goals. But once you've kind of reached a certain point, that doesn't mean it's the end. That's just that point. You're just at that guard post. Then hopefully you begin to do the hard work of now assessing what's next for us and how do we implement change to to tackle those other deeper um issues and opportunities and so yeah when is enough enough it's not (laughs)
0: yeah right and you're so you're so right you're so smart and you're making me think of it would be good for us and some of our cohorts to put together like the the must-have skills in order to do this work understanding of change management is so important or understanding and having other people because a lot of what we saw we going back full circle to where we started the conversation going back to 2020 going back to the death of george floyd where a lot of people were ill prepared to take the role of um deib consultant program manager erg leader didn't recognize because you wouldn't have the ability to recognize because all of us know the way we went into this work
2: is not where we are today Right. Right. I tell people all the time that it takes both will and skill. I love the passion. Passion does have value, but Mm -hmm. passion ain't gonna get you but so far. That's right. And so how are we upskilling ourselves and other individuals who we are charging this role and this responsibility to? Which first and foremost, it starts with recognizing that. No one person can own that role. It belongs right. to all of us. But for those who is physically built into their like job description or literally built into their job description, then yes, how well have you equipped them? And are you upskilling them to be able to really lead this charge where they're thinking about a day in and day out and, and they are creating the change that is needed, that transformative DEI change that is needed and not just kind of solving for it with an activity. You know, activity has a start and an end date. Right. We're looking at impact how do we look at systems policies procedures culture right we need to get to the crux of the matter and stop being surfaced with this work and so I I have a lot of energy around helping people to realize that to your point Jackie yes in 2020, we had lots of experts that just popped up overnight, right? And I love the fact that there's greater level of 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 energy and passion and interest in this space and this discipline. But I also want to make sure that we are being very thoughtful about what kind of message we're sending if we really are taking the responsibility of ensuring we are well-equipped or or even that we are well-equipping those who we are charging with this responsibility. Yeah.
0: Yes. Because a lot of times these people are othered, people they picked, black or brown people, a lot of times women to come in, and now it can cause major harm. like yeah. like yeah. You're, you're perpetuating the same trauma that you're reporting yes. to solve by putting people in this role. and it just and, again, to your point, passion is great. But understanding DEIB from a business perspective. And if this is completely different, because I'm like, if you're talking about, you know, outside and I'm walking down the street, I'm looking for things that are going to help me, my family, my friends, my yeah. circle. But in a professional world, I understand how we have to do this without being disruptive. Externally, I want to be disruptive outside of work, inside of work. I recognize that.
2: So, yes. Yes, we have to move strategically. That's another thing. I love the fact that you just said externally I can be disruptive, but internally, there is a goal that I have my mind set on, right? And I have to be strategic. And that means even trying to regulate and manage our emotions as people yes. that care deeply about this work. You know, yes, we can kick, scream, and holler, and we can shame, guilt, and blame, but where is that going to get us, right? That's right. You know, we need to make sure that we are not allowing our level of aggression, um, with, which sometimes is rightfully so. I don't want to minimize those feelings because, again, many of us that are in this space or people that are part of those marginalized communities that are very much impacted, you know, disproportionately impacted. But I think that we have to also make sure that we realize that because we chose this work and, and for, for us, that there's a certain level of appetite that we must show up with that allows us to keep our eyes on the prize. Yes. yes and I'm quoting Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. But yes, so that prize is that change. We can't change hearts and minds if we are Attacking people, right? That that level of aggression will be met with aggression. The conversation ends. There's no rapport. There's no trust. And then where does that get us? You know? Yes. Yeah. And you can't say you big dummy because there's so many times that I want to say
0: that on a weekly basis. <laughs> yes, you and I both. <laughs> <laughs> well, but yes, I can't
2: it, say that.
1: <laughs> I think it goes to another piece. This and there, there's two things I want to mention. And you know, one of them obviously being the HR weirdo that I am. <laughs> uh, you know, there's there's some legal aspects that I think need to come up when people are talking about some of these topics that what you can and cannot do what you should and should not do all of those things. But I think there's also this, you know, how do we make sure that whoever is doing this work, I I love the point of you're not re traumatizing them by making them do the work, making sure you're actually uh, giving them the resources to do what's right but then I I think there's also another piece to this. That's the, um, you're never done, but also everyone's at a different place in their journey. And I think that's one that's also really hard. And especially, I mean, it is the, there are times when you want to say, oh my God, just get on board the train. (laughs) It's not that difficult. (laughs) Um, it is 2022 come on down. And, and I think that comes up so much as well that, every time we start engaging with the new organization every time someone joins that organization you have to go back to zero and have to to okay how where are we right now or hey this is what we've already done i need you to catch up um and that's the other piece so yeah
2: i agree and one of the tension points that i often bring to the attention of a lot of the client partners that we work with is that especially when you start this journey get prepared to have um, a camp of two sets of individuals, you're going to have a group that's going to be, we're not aggressive enough, we're not pushing hard enough, we're not assertive enough, we need to, you know, do this in this certain way and do it by this timing, those folks are a bit further along, and they want to see that change happen uh, with greater level of urgency, then you also have Well, we want to make sure that we are bringing people along in a way that allows them to feel comfortable and engaging. And we're moving too fast. We need to slow walk this. Managing those tension points is one of the most challenging things that I often um, have client partners to brace themselves for. Because if you aren't prepared for that, then you could get frustrated really easy and feel like, well, we can't please everybody. So what are we supposed to do here? You have this camp saying this, this camp saying that. But I think it's about not just realizing that there's a one-size-fits-all approach, but being so strategic in how in which we're solving for this that we take into account the diversity of all of the people that we're trying to bring along, right? They have different mental models. They're entering the conversations at different points within their learning journey. They have different expectations. And so that's why when I often will recommend and talk about these you know, DEI learning and development experiences, and I use that word very intentionally because I don't really believe in training. Training sounds like a destination, a one and done. We need experiences that take into account a series of, of different modalities because people learn in different ways. You know, it could be a combination of books and films and, you know, deep dive, you know, learning circles or, or a more of the formal kind of knowledge exchange. Um, but so many different ways in which we need to be considering ways to bring people along. And that's how you manage those tension points instead of just saying this is the one way. I'm not even a fan of like, Mandatory DEI training, unless it's something that, um, you know, from a, a legal perspective, you know, organizations, you feel like they have to protect themselves by saying, we did provide this information. But even in that regard, I am, I'm often challenging organizations to think creatively about how can we strongly encourage and we can, you know, put some tactics in place and strategies to make sure that, um, we are modeling the behaviors that we want from people in terms of engagement so that people don't show up um you know doing the work in spite of but they do it because of because they really truly believe it and believe in the value of it so yeah if you make it required
0: we don't know who to fire like if you (laughs) make it required we don't know where to start with the problem by not making it we'll be like oh you know jeff has not been to one has not signed up for one we might need to speak yeah. to jack what's going on with yeah Jen. yeah <laughs> yeah but yeah. you know yeah. something that katie brought up and this is like a horrible segue but something that uh katie brought up was saying that we're all in different places and so because of that we all have a different belief system and a lot of this started in childhood that we don't recognize that this is formulated before we even started school our ideas of ha- the interpersonal relationships how i see myself and i identify which unironically, has very much to talk about Thanksgiving and the things that we were having and why these things were very odd, because I will tell you, there's two, Katie makes fun of me for one thing in particular, but number one, uh, I think we should talk, well, I think we should talk about the things that we have at Thanksgiving that people think are maybe odd or share some of those things and uh, or traditional meals and number one is we eat sauerkraut on Thanksgiving. No, Now, now listen. New Year's my Day. Fam- New Year's listen. Listen, which is dumb because that's gross. No, like these. So we eat sauerkraut. My family is from Baltimore. Um, Baltimore was founded by you should know this German Katie <laughs> people from Germany. And so that's why we eat sauerkraut now the other thing that I make that Katie thinks sounds disgusting is I made it because my husband's family, they made it. And I was like, Oh, I'll try it. It is broccoli casserole air quotes around casserole because it's broccoli and Bell Vita, like two pounds of broccoli, a whole of the big industrial of Bell Vita, <laughs> crackers with butter on top. And then you bake it. Yeah. Delish. But listen, that's what we have. And I mean, we have the regular things, collard greens, dressing, whatever. But these are the things that are very distinctively I I buy uh, sauerkraut during Thanksgiving and it usually stays there until the next Thanksgiving. And I think I should throw it away and I buy a new jar of sauerkraut. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, I have to say, I don't think I've ever heard of a, a tradition of having sauerkraut for Thanksgiving. So that is interesting to me. But the broccoli casserole. Thank you, you thank you, Nita. Thank you. Thank you. But, <laughs> say, but but in Jackie's defense, the broccoli casserole that sounds pretty commonplace I mean, for me. I think a lot of families will do a broccoli casserole or a green bean casserole. Sometimes
0: sure it was casserole. like
2: on the box of Ritz crackers, right? Because yeah.
0: what other ingredient you use? Two sleeves. It's half the <laughs> box of of Ritz crackers
1: and I think that's I just had this conversation with, I don't even know if it was you Jackie or who I was talking to about going back to like the Betty Crocker cookbook me
0: who oh, we're talking about, like, it was, okay yeah
1: and like some of the stuff some of the recipes that are in there that you're like who why why like why <laughs> <Just> why <laughs> and it's the same thing so Nika what are you cooking tomorrow or if you're going somewhere what is the what's the meal tomorrow for you
2: So it's going to be all of the traditional stuff we don't really um deviate to be honest with you but i will tell you i can share my favorite that i always look forward to and that is my aunt's um collard greens i mean they are amazing she it has a certain sweetness to it, which I think is a little unique. It's not a lot of people will sweeten their greens, but it has great sweetness to it. But then it's also the way that she prepares it in terms of like all these different types of peppers and jalapeno, it just gives it a great kind of mix and blend. And so it's always my favorite. We always say, make make tons and tons and tons of collard greens because it's everyone's favorite. So, and
1: yeah. And we come, like I, I feel like, this, it remind me, where are you based? Cause <laughs> we're on our way.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we aren't, I'm that actually recipe. Based, FYI, I'm actually based in Greenville, South Carolina. And so, so my sister actually lives in DC. And so she's not far from you, Jackie. And so she'll, she'll be getting a town later today. But yeah, it's, it's very, it's very traditional. And, um, you know, yeah, I, I do hear of a lot of like families that will do something a little different, like maybe like a um, like a Charleston broil for for those who know about the Charleston boil, and 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 we don't do that, but there are a lot of families who do. And I think it's because maybe Thanksgiving and Christmas are so close that they kind of feel like we don't want to have the same type of meals. But I don't know. I I I love the traditional aspect of knowing I can have turkey and macaroni and cheese and ham and potato salad and collard greens on Thanksgiving <laughs> Day. <I don't> no. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Perfect.
1: Perfect. <laughs> so uh, we are way over time because we love to we do that. I try to keep us on time, but it never works. Anyways, what is one thing you want to make sure our listeners hear, think about, reflect on, go research um, as we kind of leave this episode?
2: Yeah, I love this question, Katie and Jackie. And I I have to go back to kind of where we started with the conversation, which is the importance of impressing upon all those key decision makers to realize that while we know tough decisions are gonna be upon many of us, right? We, we don't at all want to negate that. But I do want people to be very thoughtful about the consequences of not continuing to support the DEI work in really meaningful ways, because whether or not you are connecting to dots to the, the output of the organization to DEI, you know, research has time and time again proven that there's direct correlation. And so the more that I think we can lean into allowing people to have that Sense of belonging is showing up at their best then we're going to be able to weather the storm you know in a way that i think will serve us all well and so just think twice have conversations very meaningful conversations with lots of different stakeholders who are going to be directly impacted so that at least you know there's some inclusive decision making going on as you're as you are really um, forced to um, think intently about how and which to prioritize the investment of dollars leave dei in Awesome. I can Definitely. listen to
0: like Nika speak. You just something I about. I don't know what that is. I'm just like. I just want to so listen fun. to everything you show. Like yeah, say more, say more. Uh, well, we you eight, eight so hour, our,
1: This is our eight hour Thanksgiving episode. <laughs> <laughs> you
2: two make it so easy again. I I feel like I I am I am such a beneficiary of being able to share this space and time, and so thank you for for the opportunity. Aww. And I um, certainly you know hope this won't be the last time. Oh, I'd love to um to make sure we're remaining close in touch. And yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, yeah. No, that's
0: great, um, I, Jackie. What I, you I, got?
2: I think similarly,
0: like now is not to cut. When I, times of uncertainty is not the time to cut your de. I V or D E B I or whatever you want to put T A all all the things that because you forget like it's not it's not just about hiring people from underrepresented backgrounds it's about everyone belonging and feeling included during this time of uncertainty you want people to feel like they belong right now the people who may have weathered through the storm who weren't part of the layoffs who have survivor guilt because here we are into the holidays so you need those people again you don't want to be disruptive understanding that you have to make financial decisions a layoff is always disruptive and you need someone to be able to offer that support on how can we make sure that people feel included and belonging and belong um yeah. to the organization moving forward now is not the time to
2: yeah. cut yeah center roles. humanity center humanity yeah um, Just just being thoughtful is the key, being incredibly thoughtful about it. You know, I often, and this will be a great point to kind of end on, but I often will share as we were kind of touching on belonging that it is hard for any person, any person, regardless of their background, their demographics, but any person to show up at their best in any environment, if they are always questioning, whether or not they belong. Do I belong here? Am I seen? Am I valued? Am I heard? Do I have full opportunity for success? So if organizationally, you want to be able to weather the storm come out on top, you're going to want to make sure that your people feel like they can show up at their best. Because if not, then you have no chance of really being able to, um, you know, endure some of the hardships that I know we've experienced before back in 2008, back when the pandemic hit, you know, so take heed to um to this 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 advice that we all are echoing and sharing today absolutely I
1: think you know and that's kind of where I was going to go is we're now in that crunch time so as an HR person I've always been you don't do layoffs between Thanksgiving and Christmas and and I I know that again a lot of organizations are in what are we going to do for next year how are we preparing for next year but please just don't um Mm -hmm. that's that that would be one piece and then i think the other piece is we are entering that holiday time frame and so making sure you have mental health services making sure you Mm -hmm. have support for all of your team members we have no idea what the circumstances are of their their family situations or whatever it might be how they you know how they will get through the holidays we just a a dear friend of ours lost their brother last year Mm -hmm. and know she's looking at the holidays and is like i don't know how i'm going to do this like i want to just go to bed until january 1st and not think about it and making sure that you're just being thoughtful about that and making sure you're really supporting your folks in in this time and every time i mean i I think back to what you just said and you get like at all times being supportive of of your team and making sure they're okay
2: Mm -hmm. at all times yeah absolutely
1: all right on that note Dr. Anika White thank you so much for joining us you are a rock star uh you know we we get to the the pleasure of having amazing uh speakers and so we will definitely be having you back on um and appreciate you taking the time this is awesome and I'm, I'm sure our listeners will really enjoy this so this is Katie Van Horn and this is Jackie Clayton
2: Bye. bye